The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talk about all the news and world of sports. Jeff, we'll get to the Phillies, who Albert Pujols just grounded into a double play. So the score, uh, game is still scoreless right now in a few minutes, right before our Greg Dobbs interview. But I'm going to start where like, why, why are you telling people this? So the, those people who like so sports, hold on. Their watch. We're giving them an update. No, what, what they probably are doing is recording it so they can listen to our show. Oh, well, sorry to blow up your spot. So, so you've now just ruined it for them. Never mind. That didn't happen. And I'm not like, like, like don't you, when, when you, when you watch sport, do, do you not have situations in your life where you go on lockdown and you record it? Yeah. But if I'm on lockdown and recording, I'm not listening to a radio show about it. Like I'm not listening to anything. I'm not checking right. social. I'm not doing anything. Are, are you the kind of guy who can do lockdown where you actually no. will, you know, you don't even know what the question is. I know. Go ahead. Okay. So, so there are some people who can do lockdown and not look at scores. And then turn on the game and watch the game fresh as if, and not know anything. And there's other people that will tape it and then can't do it. Which one of you? Me. And I know that doesn't surprise you at all. No. There is zero chance that I would go a whole game knowing that the game is on without checking. Have you ever been able to do it? No. It's, it's been a constant issue my whole life. It's, I don't know why this is surprising. We've done the show how long now? This is just kind of a test for you to make a laugh at the start of the show at this point. You know the answer to this question. There's zero chance I could wait. See what's going I on. was actually trying to distract you from your weekly question that you asked during uh, the well, fall. Before we get to that, the best part was before the show, I'm watching on my stream on my phone as we're prepping, and you've got it up on the MLB app. And it's updating for you before me. And so you're spoiling what's happening while I'm trying to actually watch it. And then you're and you think, and you think you, yeah, and you think you would have learned from that, but you didn't. Uh, I learned nothing. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm going to start where I do every week. Uh, did you watch Thursday Night Football last night? Because last night, Jeff, was ever the argument that you make for there should not be games on Thursday night because that was horrific. It's garbage. It, I didn't watch it. But when I when I wake up in the morning and I see that the score of a football game in Denver is lower than the score of most baseball games in Denver, I know that's bad. Oh, okay, yes, that's that's definitely not the way that you want to see it. I mean, the, what happened with with Russ during the game is definitely news. With the way he's played, he could have been an eagle. By the way, there were a lot of people who wanted him here. That wouldn't have been too good if he played the way he did last night there. Indianapolis came back and won it in overtime in a game that nobody wanted to see go to overtime. I know you missed that. But that uh, what happened in that game will become news after Thursday just because of what's going on with Russ there and his contract and everything they did. Well, I, th- I think the one thing that I saw that came out of that game was that I wasn't the only one who missed overtime, that there were thousands of fans in Denver that decided when they kneeled down to go to overtime, they weren't going to stick around to watch it. Yeah, they were just kind of streaming out of the ball. And Denver has a great fan base. Yeah, they, they've had enough. I'll tell you what, between the Broncos and University of Colorado, where your son is firing their coach for not having any They don't have a football team. There's nothing you can breathe. They don't have anything about. going on for football. The <laughs> Eagles, on the other hand, do have it going on here. My 
five-year-old and two-year-old were amazed at the heavy rain that they played football in and wanted to know if they could go out and play in the rain last week while that was going on. The Eagles are now 4-0, and the only undefeated team left in the NFL. It's the first time they won a game after trailing by at least 14 points since 2014. Uh, as an outside observer, what are you seeing from these Eagles right now? They're doing everything right. There's special teams, offense, defense, as long as they say stay healthy. And look, now the Eagles have lost by a lot of, hopefully it's not for a long time. It looks, but, I don't know if he'll play this week. He seems like he's okay. They won't have uh, Elliot this week at kicker. So they brought in uh Dicker, the kicker who was at, at Texas. So he'll be here. kicking. What, what is his name? Uh, his, yes. And his nickname is Dicker, the kicker. I believe it's really Dicker. Yes. Yes, it is. I knew that it, once I said it, you would have a good time. That's why I didn't put it in the document. I just let it go and like let the five-year-old and you giggle about it. But, I mean, if you look at the moves that Howie made this offseason, A.J. Brown's third in the NFL in receiving yards. Hassan Reddick leads the NFL three and a half sacks. James Bradbury has two interceptions and a pick six. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 hold on. Let's not over. How many sacks does Hassan Reddick have? Three and a half. He doesn't lead the NFL. Uh, okay. There is no way he leads the three and a half sacks leads the NFL. Okay. Well, that's, that's it's good. not possible. You're right. Nick Bosa has it. He doesn't lead the NFL. Yeah. Why do I have? He's, he's having a good start. Yes. But let's it's, not overstate these guys. The moves, though, have paid off for him in terms of they had depth in the secondary when Darius Slay went out last week. They have depth on the offensive line now with Mylotta going down last week. They were still able to run for a huge amount of yards. And this is a team that hasn't always done that. The, the second quarter is when they do their most damage. They've got 85 points, which is number two on the list. And number two on the list has 48 points in the second quarter. That's when they're doing most of their damage in games. You know, the question is, is whether the NFL is going to start filing, filing suit is not lawsuits, but start doing the same thing that the Eagles did. Because what the Eagles have done is they doubled down on Jalen Hurts during his rookie contract so that they could spend more money on high price pieces to put around him that they otherwise couldn't if they had a quarterback that they were paying $20 million a year. Yeah, look, they're going to look to extend him, especially with the way that he's playing and he's going to cost them money and that will change the structure of the team. But as of right now, they've got, I believe, $31 million under the cap next year and they've got a lot of draft picks, including what I mentioned to you before the show started. The thing I'm watching is New Orleans, who is without Jameis Winston this week, who I questioned as their starting quarterback to begin with. Andy Dalton will be there. They're without Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara hasn't really played. They're one and three, and the Eagles hold their first-round draft pick. So you're so, literally sitting around watching to see how the Saints are doing? Each week. Next year's draft. Each week I watch. Yeah, because it's significant. If you have a top three or top five pick while your team is out there, playing the football that they are, it's pretty good insurance policy for whatever you want to do. And I'm not saying that's to get a quarterback. I'm saying, you know, whatever you view as your weakness at that point, you have the ability to go fill it. For all of our listeners, we're going to have a contest to find Jason a hobby. Because because if what, been if trying what, to do that since she met me. Good luck. If you have that's time, why she had me do a radio show with you. <laughs> she you, thought that that was finding a hobby. It really just turned into me watching. If you have a time with two jobs, two young kids, a marriage, to sit there and pay attention to what the Saints are doing because of next year's draft, you need a hobby. I don't have to. There's so we're going to have a contest Twitter who follow find it. Find Jason a hobby. They make it very easy for me. The Eagles play this Sunday uh, against the Cardinals. Again, it's a Philadelphia versus Cardinals weekend. They'll be out in Arizona. little reunion against Zach Ertz. So they, they get three weeks in a row. Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, and Zach Ertz. 
Uh, before we move to the Cardinals game, they're what going did you, to destroy the Cardinals. What did you think, real fast, of the ovation that Doug got? Classy, right? Like I thought, mm-hmm. it, what he, it's what he would get. I thought it was nice the way it was handled, and then they went in and beat their brains in. And did he go? <laughs> did he go? Did he? Did he go find the statue? I don't know. I didn't see whether he was asked about it or what happened with the statue. Uh, but you would think that. I mean, they are the favorite out in Arizona. Arizona has had lots of problems. Um, we'll see what they do against them, but you know, this team could be five and zero heading into Dallas, heading into their bye. And- could be. I know that any given Sunday and all that nonsense. That if the Eagles lose to the Cardinals, the skies will be falling. Do you think that they Dak- should be going five and zero going into the Cowboys? Do you think game? Dak will be back in, in the Cowboys game, or is yes. Jerry going to stick with Cooper Rush? No, I think Dak will be back. All right. And do you have any quarterbacks left for your Giants team to start? Daniel Jones is going to play this week. Okay. Yeah. All right. If he doesn't, do you have any wide receivers for him to throw to? No, not any good ones. <laughs> or any offensive linemen to block for him? No, the offense is the offense is Saquon Barkley. How he finds say, holes hand off is to Saquon me. left, hand off to Saquon white, right, hand off to Saquon up the middle, swing past the Saquon. Is that the offense right now? <laughs> they might as well snap the ball. Okay. Uh, you know, the, gi- the giant. The Giants are the the most incredible three and one team. Because there is, you look at them and there is no way they should be three and one. And I don't care how bad the competition was. The fact is they should not be three and one with that offensive line, those receivers and that quarterback. I appreciate that. You're not trash talking at three and one there. (laughs) Uh, I know you don't watch Thursday night football. Do you watch Monday night football? Sometimes. Why? Did you see the fan run on the field the other night and then get hit? And they get leveled by Bobby. Yeah. He filed suit or filed a complaint. No, he did not file suit. Yet. Filed a he complaint. Filed a sorry, complaint. Uh, Mr. Legal Eagle. I am well, sorry for using. Well, the hold wrong on. You're, go- word. you're going to ask me as a lawyer a question, so what, I'm not going to answer my, the wrong question. I was correcting myself. He filed a complaint after the game, right. which yeah. is the, which is the precursor to the civil suit he's going to file. Okay, so glad you you got that out of the way. So, right. is that for real? Like, can't Bobby Wagner just say he felt threatened because the guy was trespassing and up in his face? Does he like? Can does this guy really have standing to file a complaint because he was on the field where he? All he been? did, all he does, is file the complaint. The police then have a the, the police and the prosecutor then make a determination whether or not they're going to prosecute him and bring charges. So no charges have been brought yet against Bobby Wagner. I would be shocked if the, any charges were brought against them. And I dare this guy to file a civil suit because he will be the laughing step. First of all, what are his injuries? His ego. His ego. Well, maybe he shouldn't be going out there running on a field acting like an idiot. I agree with that. Think about it. We can go back to, for people who remember, like Monica Sellis, who got stabbed on, on a tennis court. Athletes have the right, just as much as anybody, to have their safety protected. And when people run out of, on, onto a field, a court, Whatever it is these days, you have no idea what they're going to do. And at some point, they're allowed to protect themselves. It's not like Bobby Wagner tackled the guy and then started punching him in the face. He tackled him, walked away, and let security deal with him because security wasn't able to keep up with the guy. So yeah. what he did was completely I thought the security guard hurt himself. <laughs> I heard he like, <laughs> tore, popped an ACL or something. Uh, I want to move to basketball real fast. We'll do Sixers next week when we have Mark Zumoff joining us. That'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But you had some uh, opinions about the lack of coverage of 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar voicing his opinions on Kyrie Irving. So I'm going to give you the floor to talk a little Kareem Kyrie right now. I, I'm just a little stunned. I mean, look, I guess I should never be surprised at what comes out of Kyrie Irving's mouth or what comes out of his Twitter account, his his constant belief that that everybody is out to get everybody. But he tweeted something this what, this week about Alex Jones and COVID. You can go look at it for yourself. But to me, what was interesting about this and why I'm surprised that more people are not covering this was this, what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's one of the most thoughtful people in sports, one of the most intelligent people in sports, and one of the most empathetic people in sports, said about him, which was to basically refer to his, quote, gelatinous ignorance. Yeah. Um... <laughs> he said Kyrie Irving's thought process is an example of what happens when the education system fails. Yeah, he did not hold back at all. Kyrie Irving would be dismissed as a comical buffoon if it weren't for his influence over young people who look up to athletes and then wrapped up his essay blaming Irving for tarnishing the reputation of all athletes who strive to be seen as more than dumb jocks. Well, that part I don't agree with. So I don't, I think that we are now, we now have a more intelligent culture that, that we don't automatically assume that because one person is stupid or says something stupid that all are, but Kyrie Irving is somebody now he didn't graduate from there. I don't believe, but he did go to Duke and he, what he is tarnishing is Duke's education because if he walked away from Duke with these kinds of thoughts, I don't know what he was learning in the year that he was there. But, you know, it, it, it's it's disheartening that he said it. It's disheartening he believed it. It's disheartening that there are people that wear his jersey and, and also believe it. But what's really disheartening is is the media is not covering this the way that they should. I have not seen, maybe they have, and I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen him peppered with questions about this yet. I haven't seen the Brooklyn Nets organization be called to task to say whether or not they're going to address this. Because not only... Not only is it disturbing because of what he said, but if you follow what's been going on with Alex Jones, you know, it, it it's troubling. Now, he wasn't commenting on what happened with the Alex Jones trial. He was For talking. Sure. Yeah, but but it's all, you know, his bunch of lies. And it's disturbing that that he's decided to prop up this person, especially in Brooklyn, so close to where the things that Alex Jones said falsely have have hurt so many people. Yeah, I've been surprised normally if you have somebody that high profile offering a take on it. I was surprised that Kyrie Irving's comments originally didn't get more coverage. I was surprised that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's response to what Kyrie Irving said and did didn't get more coverage. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that one, to be honest. And I normally have an opinion on lots of things, but I just don't really know where to where to go with that one. But I knew you had a a strong take on it, so I wanted to let you get it there. Uh, Zach Wheeler is coming out for the seventh inning at 93 pitches, 61 strikes so far. Jeff, it's fun to to see the team back in the playoffs. Uh, I know we had talked about what the wild card was, but seeing those guys celebrate after winning to advance, did that change your opinion on the sixth wild card spot, seeing their excitement and stuff? No. No. <laughs> it does, I mean, look, just because people are happy isn't going to change whether I think it's right or wrong. I mean, think think about how exciting the end of the season would have been. I'm not talking about for the Phillies, but how exciting the Braves and Mets came down to the last weekend. If they both were not getting in, how much more pressure would be on those games and how much more exciting would those games have been? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely would have been. It made for an extra team to chase, and the Phillies were able to get it with Nola's great performance. Wheeler's coming out of the game after retiring one, so it looks like Alvarado is coming in for the seventh. And this was the area when we talked before the show that I said, I don't know what to do for the seventh. I feel comfortable with a couple guys in the bullpen, not everybody in the bullpen. Uh, you well, know, you got, I your, you got your answer. You got you got Alvarado in the seventh. The question is who you who you got in the eighth. Now, I, I would probably put Dominguez in, but he hasn't been good coming down the stretch. I would use Brogdon, but you're not confident with Brogdon. And then you get to the ninth, and they, the Phillies don't really have a closer right now. No, and I wonder where they deploy Eflin because they seem to be much more confident in Eflin in the bullpen. So I wonder if he ends up being your eighth. And you have either Robertson or Dominguez for the ninth. I wonder if they're going to. Well, you, well, you, what about it. Hand? You have him too, but I don't know if you put Hand in in the eighth. I just wonder whether they try and stagger Robertson and Dominguez because you have a three-game series back-to-back-to-back games, so you can't have them down for a day without somebody else there. So, I'm, you know, it's a good question how they're going to end up staggering. At the top of the lineup has really struggled. Before we went on the air, the first five hitters were like oh for 13 with three strikeouts i know that's changed a little bit since we've been on the air for all well, the people here's here's the good here's, but here's the good news for you is that wheeler has before he went out of the game he got through the pool holes goldschmidt arenado group and, yeah and so now you have donovan in that crew so you may you're going to get assuming everybody else does their job the closer is only going to have to face pool holes goldschmidt and arenado once yeah, I mean, look, the the game, it's anxiety-inducing watching. Though. You know I get nervous watching replays of games that I know the results for. So as a fan, I ride that roller coaster of each swing in the postseason even more. You, on the other hand, lower your expectations, expect a loss, and then you're not disappointed by anything that happens in the game. I understand that. Well, at this point, it's gravy. I didn't think the Phillies were going to make it. I mean, after, after they lost three straight to the Cubs, I thought they were done. It could be and, gravy, and, and they, I could still worry. Uh, the best thing that happened to the Phillies this year? was the Brewers trading hater. Yeah, they, I it mean, still they, doesn't make sense to me. They collapsed down the stretch. Now, I was glad to see that the Phillies clinched it themselves rather than completely backing in. Nola pitched great in that last outing, and that should provide him confidence going into tomorrow's matchup. I, I just don't know what to expect out of, you know, Suarez if it goes three games, you know. You All right, would... 10 seconds, who you got? I'm hoping for the Phillies. <laughs> or t- you think they're going to win today's game? With that bullpen. I do, but I don't know why. It's just Mm -hmm. a rational fandom. I think it's the Cardinals game. I'm just being hopeful. Jeff, Mm -hmm. let's go to break. When we come back, we'll talk more about it with, or let's, let's go right now. We'll we'll skip the break. We'll go right to our Greg Dobbs interview and then we'll hit the break after that. Great to have Phillies world series champion, Greg Dobbs back to join us as the Phillies get ready to go back to the playoffs. Greg, how you doing, man? Doing great. I'm not as good as, uh, everybody in Philly right now and you guys this is uh this is exciting well you know what every time we say world series champion Greg Dobbs you just start beaming does it (laughs) does does like the glow ever go away no no it doesn't um and nor should it you know getting listen as we all know right the the drought that we've experienced um it's been long it's been pronounced um but that makes it so much more special right I mean we had 1980 then I was fortunate enough to be part of 2008. Um, the The excitement is like, listen, this is it's almost like a rebirth of sorts, right? Um, it, it never it never fades away. It never it never diminishes. It never gets tarnished um, because once you've been there, and if you've been there, and if you've been lucky enough to be there multiple times, 
you understand how difficult it is to get there and all the work that, that it takes to just, just, just to get to the dance, right. Just to be invited to the party. So uh, no, it, it never wears off and, and nor should it end. Uh, if it ever does, um, I'd invite both of you to slap me briskly across the face and wake me up because that would be my fault. Forget the drought. We'll talk about the Phillies in a minute. You were actually the let when you started in the major leagues, you started with the Mariners. The Mariners haven't made the playoffs since before you made your major league debut. What is it like for the city of Seattle to have gone this long? And what must it be like there for them? I, I can't. That's that's even more difficult to describe and put into words. Um, you know, I, I, I signed in 2001 out of the University of Oklahoma, and that was the year they had with 116 wins in the regular season. I mean, it was just bonkers. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they didn't live up to expectations, uh, in, in the postseason. Um, that is an incredible story. You know, what that organization has done, um, the moves that they've made, um, front office ownership, uh, staff on the field, that, that's, that's an incredible story. Um, I, I have to say very, very happy for my fellow Mariners. Um, and, and that entire organization, um, wish them nothing but the best, but my heart lies in Philly. So I can't, I I can't root for them too much. So with your heart here in Philly, Jeff and I talked a lot about the emotion that you saw from the players on the field and in the locker room after the game. Talk about what it's like for those players who've worked so hard to finally get their chance in the playoffs. You know, JT Realmuto, Gene Segura had gone more than 2000 games combined without playing in the playoffs. (sighs) Great question. Um, it's, it's a combination of things, you know, it's, it's the excitement, it's the fulfillment. Um, but, but, but that, that wears off and it, it you don't want it to wear off too quickly because you want it, you want to enjoy every moment. Right. But, um, as elated as, ex- and as excited as you are, especially for, especially for the first time guys, um, it, it's something that they'll, they'll never forget. Um, but it's also something that you got to kind of quickly turn the page because, it's a shortened series. It's three games in St. Louis. Um, their home record, 53 and 28. I mean, they are strong at home. So as much as, yeah, the, the, the emotions, the celebrating, um, the enjoyment of it, absolutely take it all in, be in the moment. Um, but that next day, it's you got to start getting your mind right. And I think that's one of the greatest things that we did not only in 2007, but, but more importantly, in 2008 was, um, and, and nine and 10, but, uh, 2008, particularly, we did a really, really good job of, listen, we had got there in 2007. Yeah. We got steamrolled by Colorado, but we'd spent all our bullets trying to get there in that late September run, which was magical. Um, that was sort of like our, 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 our freshman initiation, right. They talk about the freshman 15, we put on the freshman 15 in 2007 and then, 2008, we leaned out and we're like, okay, we belong here. Um, but that, that only came with that experience in 2007 and learning that we had to quickly get to turn the page, right? We got to refocus. Um, yeah, it's great. It's an accomplishment, but you know, so what? We're going to be judged upon how we play versus this opponent, which is St. Louis. So I'm sure they're doing that. I'm sure Rob Thompson, the staff has, has got the, the boys' minds right and all those that have, that have played in the postseason – uh, on the club, but I'm excited for a guy like JT Romuto, especially because 
um, watching him come up through the Marlins organization. Um, it, he is an absolute grinder. He's an incredible talent. And you just, he's just, he's just a great guy. And, and you, you root for the, those, those good guys. Right. And, and he's been an incredible catcher. He's a rock in that clubhouse on the field, handling that staff. Um, I couldn't be more excited for JT. Yeah. But as you said, 2007 helped you deal with 2008. This team doesn't have a bunch of guys that have been through this grind as you talk about. And on the other hand, you have the Cardinals who have Albert Pujols and Arenado and Goldschmidt and all of the, and Molina. How did, how did the Phillies get over that hump? Those guys who have all of that experience. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be tough. Um, And that is, that's the X factor. The X factor is unless there's two things that could happen, right? One is yes, you have all the experience in the world. Um, You have uh, you've got the talent you uh, you've got, you've got your sea legs under you, which the Cardinals have, they do. Um, They can go back into that Rolodex and those memories of games they played in postseason. They can rely on, on the, those, those times in postseason that they played well and did well. Um, And that's something that admittedly the Phillies don't have. Now, how do you counter that? You counter that by your starters, you know, Wheeler, Nola, hopefully it's just Wheeler and Nola, but if we go to, to third game Suarez, right? Those guys pitching well, going deep, it's all about momentum right now as well. So I think the way the Phillies can best counter this, having arguably a lack of postseason experience on the roster versus the Cardinals is come out strong, come out hot, um, get that momentum on your side, especially playing in a visiting stadium for, for three days, three nights. Um, it's going to be wild. It's going to be raucous. It's, it's, it's going to be intense, but if they can just come out blazing and get momentum on their side, that's the way you can counter that. You talk about three days and three nights. I'm curious. They they had a 2.07 start today, so the early afternoon, they won't have to really deal with the shadows. They have the late game tomorrow night and Sunday if they have it. What's it like to prepare for the games at the different times? Is 4 o'clock the hardest time with the shadows? What's that like for you as a fielder? It's so it's so hard. It's so goofy. I, vi- I vividly remember uh, we were playing the Dodgers, and it was a funky, like, 4.07 417 start sun is everywhere shadows are everywhere and then on top of it you had which you know the Dodgers organization did an amazing job in this they handed out white rally towels okay so so I'm at third Moyer starting I'm like oh my gosh I'm gonna get I'm just gonna have bullet after bullet hit to me at third um, and we all know I wasn't a defensive wizard. Okay. I was no Abraham Nunez or, or, or Pedro Feliz. Fine. Granted, I accept that. Um, but it was tough. I, a sea of white towels behind you at playing third base in the big leagues in the postseason, and nothing but huge right-handers coming up and just, sm- um, it, and then the shadows, right? So it, it's, it's difficult, um, but you have to do as much as you possibly can put that out of your mind deal with the shadows the best you can. Um, and listen, both teams have to deal with it, right? So so net-net, you know, maybe it's a neutralizer. Um, probably easier to deal with shadows like that when you're in your home park, your home surroundings, your your hitter's eye. You know, the, gauging depth when it's a funky start time like that is, is challenging. It helps when you're in your own stadium 
I would maybe give a slight advantage to St. Louis then in that, in that regard. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's going to be tough for both. It's not fun. All right. We know you have to go, but before you go, I don't know if you saw the other night with Stephen Vaught in his final game with the A's. They had his kids announce him, come up to the plate, and then the next at bat he hits a home run before <laughs> retiring. What's, what's the best memory you have, the most touching memory you have from your days playing? Oh boy. Uh, well, that was a tearjerker. That, um, that, that was incredible. Um, I'd have to say watching, um, I mean, there's so many having my family there, my wife, our daughter on the field, both in Philly and in LA where I grew up. I mean, very, very emotional. I don't know why this sticks out to me, but, um, Burl, you know, his, his, his dog, Elvis, right. His, uh, uh, his bulldog, um, Elvis was like our unofficial mascot, right. There was, there was a fanatic and there was, and there was Elvis, but it was really Elvis. I mean, um, and, uh, I'll, I'll never forget. We have a photo of it in one of our albums, um, on the field after we'd clinched in Philly, um, to move on. And, there's Pat and he's holding Elvis like underneath his front arms, his haunches. And he's, and Elvis was a, was a big bulldog. It wasn't like a small little one. He's a big, massive bulldog. And he's the look on Pat's face is just, it's like, it's, it's just magical. Right. And he's, and here he is holding up his dog and sharing it because he loved that dog so much. And we love that dog as a team so much. I mean, he was in all of our, our clubhouses on, I mean, he was everywhere, right. He was basically a team. We should have put a Jersey on him. Um, but uh I don't know why that sticks out to me. I was thinking of things when, when you guys were asking me like, Hey, what stood out and what were some moments? And I can never get that, that picture out of my head. And, and, you know, Pat obviously had what he had meant to the city and the organization. Um, he just, he relished that moment and all of our postseason moments so much. And I know it meant so much to him and that, you know, Elvis has since passed. Um, but that, that was a, that was a very emotional moment for Pat, for us, and for our families. And it was just, but that's just one example of, of, of so many. Well, there's some guys playing baseball right now that have the chance to write their legacy here in the city this weekend. We thank you for all that you did for the city to bring us a title. And thanks for giving us some time to talk about it all. Have a great one, man. I, I appreciate it. Go Phils. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains and the engineers labor employer cooperative. ELEC puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. It is so great to have Susie Petricelli, author of Raised a Warrior, back on the show. Susie, I am sure that has been a long week for you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a long week. We saw this week the release of the Yates Report. Can you tell our listeners who haven't followed along what the Yates Report is and why it's so important to women's sports and women's soccer? Sure. So and I'm obviously, you know, everyone should try to read it um it's uh it's a little bit long but you know what you're going to hear about it in the press as we were just saying it's, it's only scratching the surface of what really is in the report but to, to to give you guys a summary basically there's been a lot of abuse going on um in women's soccer uh this report is focused on the abuse that was going on in the nwsl 
um, which is the third women's pro league um, that we've had in the United States. It's the current women's pro league, women's soccer league that we have. Um, and it, it talks specifically, it's a, it's a report that came into, um, it came about because of two major articles that happened last year, one from the Washington Post with Molly uh, Hensley Clancy and one at, at The Athletic with, by Meg Linehan. And they were bombshell articles about the abuse that was going on um, for, uh, that was being ignored um, by the, the league and U.S. soccer. Um, and um, so the, this report was co was commissioned by U.S. Soccer. They hired Sally Yates and her law firm. Um, Sally Yates, a former deputy um, uh, attorney, United States attorney, um, and um, it took her a year. Um, she this her report that came out on Monday focuses on three coaches specifically. There will be another report coming out that's uh, from the NWSL and the NWSL Players Association itself um, by the end of the year, I think. Um, and I think that one will be more broad because five out of the 10 coaches in the NWSL were let, were fired last year. So this report, the Yates report, focuses on three of those coaches, um, Paul Riley, um, Rory Dames, and um, Christy Hawley. And I guess the, the the first question, and somebody I've read the report, and, and we've talked to you before about the, some of these these issues and how important it is for these issues to come out and this stuff to be corrected. But I guess the big question is when you read this report, and kind of just wanted to get your sense because of your the, the way that you've talked to these players and, and your experiences is how did this happen? How did how for so long? Did the NWSL and, and U.S. soccer allow these actions to continue to take place? You know, they definitely should have done more. I mean, it's very complicated what happened and why it was allowed to go on so long. I mean, I, you know, it's really rooted in youth sports, to be honest, right? Um, it's rooted in uh, the abuse that, um, you know, sexual harassment of women in, the, in you know, in, in society, um, it's rooted in, you know, the way a female athlete is portrayed in the media and men, male athletes are portrayed in the media, right? When, when Alex Morgan was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, she was in a bikini. When David Beckham is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, he's in his uniform. Um, so, you know, sexual harassment of female athletes is normal in our society to some extent. And, you know, ver verbal and online abuse of female athletes is also I won't say normal, I'll say very common. Um, so, you know, those two things combined lead to a place where people are, you know, in a lot of instances, tone deaf to these things. Um, and I think, you know, these players have been reporting things and they're, first of all, you know, the other side of this is that you, uh, the league, the NWSL was a startup, right? It was a startup. It was, at, 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 you know, at the beginning, they had, you know, three employees. And they were basically using space, borrowing office space from U.S. soccer. Um, and so they, you know, any startup is going to struggle to have infrastructure in place. They're going to struggle to have, um, you know, they're going to have instances where people are putting, you know, normal business practices and the things that most companies, you know, most larger companies um, would have. Uh, they would, you know, they, they don't have those in place yet, Right. So, um, but what, but when the, when, so for instance, when the anti, you know, harassment policy was people realized that the anti-harassment, there was no anti-harassment policy, right. Um, then 
there wasn't any action. I mean, they, it was discussed in a couple of board meetings. You know, they talked about it. They 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 found one and they looked at it, but they never put it into place until twenty until you know 2020, uh, 2021, until last year after the reports started coming out after. Um, what was going on in Utah with Deloitte Hansen and the co and I think his name was Craig Harrington there. Um, so then they put the anti-harassment policy in place, but and then that's when the and that's when the ball started rolling. Then they then once that har harassment policy was in place, then they had um, they started to take action, but not but never enough action. It wasn't it was really never enough action. The report makes clear that NWSL is basically the end of the abuse. I mean, there was a line in there from youth soccer up on up sexist or demeaning statements right. have been written off as tough coaching. What has to right. change to change the perspective of what tough coaching and effective good coaching is and when it crosses the line and becomes abuse? You know, so I think that there's two discussions here. I think tough coaching and like verbally abusive coaching is one discussion that we definitely need to tackle that is super concerning in youth sports culture in the United States. My kids are going through it. Um, you know, we we've all we've all been there. Um, and, and we we and hopefully this will have a ripple effect, and it will start spark those conversation in that arena as well, because that definitely needs to be looked at. And also the abuse of referees, right? Um, but this the things in this report and 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 these allegations um, are so much more disturbing um, and destructive. And harmful. Um, they're, you know, so there's, you know, it's it's a lot. It's it's grooming. It's sexual coercion. It's these really, really, really harmful things that were happening to these girls. Um, and those are the things that you know. And it was this. It was the culture of silence around it too, and the culture of and the power structure within U.S. within soccer in the United States, where these guys, these coaches, were. They were somewhat invincible, you know. I mean, a lot of people had, you know, knew what was going on, and it was, and it was never, as you guys were saying, what, you know, how is it, how is it allowed to continue? The report refers to it as abusive coaches move from team to team, laundered by press releases thanking them for their service and positive references from teams that minimized or even concealed misconduct. Many of these people went on to get other jobs because people were silent. Can you yeah. speak to the long-term damage that was done by the ability to con continue taking these actions because people didn't speak up earlier on? Yeah. I mean, one example, I don't know if this answers your question, but as you're talking, one example comes to mind as I was reading the report. Um, so Mana Shim, one of the primary um, um, women who came forward, um, when she, uh, so she was, she was, um, she was trying to, to please uh, Paul Riley and she was trying not to upset him because she wanted to stay in the league and she wanted to keep playing. It got to the point where he clearly was going to try to force her to have, have am I allowed to say? Yeah. Okay. But it got to the point where he was trying to force her to have sex with him and she left. She left the room and, and, and said no. And she was traded to a team. She was put on loan to a team in Japan. Whereas at, when he was finally fired, he got a job at the New York Flash, the Western New York Flash, uh, you know, weeks later. So, you know, she's like, think about it from her perspective, right? She comes forward and says this, this coach has been 
not only inappropriate with me and verbally abusive with me and all those things, but on top of that, like he's being sexually, he's sexually harassing me and trying to sexually coerce me. And then I get sent to Japan to play and, and he gets another job, right? And, and, and you're right, he was, you know, he was getting recommendations from the, you know, from the administration of, um, at the, at the Thorns. It was, you know, it's, it's just hard to, it's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to read. It's hard to understand and it's just sad. Yeah, I mean, look, even in talking to you for a couple of minutes before we started the interview, and, and now you just, you look exhausted. Uh, <laughs> and, and I know that you, you've been talking to, to college athletes about this. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what you've been doing to talk to, to younger athletes about what, what needs to happen next? You know, I mean, so just by chance, I happen to be um, here at Harvard. Um, I, I got to guest lecture in a class yesterday in the sociology of sport. And, you know, when the report came out on Monday, I, I obviously had to add a slide <laughs> um, in really quickly to my presentation um, about the Gates report, um, because, you know, it's I mean, the, what I was trying to point out, obviously, it's it's extremely disturbing to find out. And it's even though a lot of us knew about the articles that had come out last year and we were expecting some of it, it's the depth of it and the extent of it was is still shocking what happened to these to these young women. Um, but the 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 thing that does give me hope is that you know the powers the power dynamic it has shifted right. Actually, Alex Morgan was the was one of the primary people who turned this around for us. She came forward and when, and she was, you know, Mana Shim had confided in her, uh, had been confiding in her. And, you know, just for example, when Lisa Baird, the former commissioner of the NWSL, um, you know, tried, she tried to say publicly that she was shocked and appalled um, by the article that came out, Megan Linehan's article that came out last year and the allegations and the information about Paul Riley. Alex Morgan immediately sent, sent out a tweet to, you know, her, her millions of followers um, that that showed it showed the emails that Mana Shim and Sinead Farrelly had sent directly to Jessica uh, to um, to the commissioner and the and you know several of the uh, of the executives um, and so you know she was clearly lying she had seen it um, so I think that it's really important that the power dynamic has shifted um, and you know. And, you know, it is a huge step forward that this report came out that and also an important piece to this is like we have female sports journalists or sports journalists. They don't necessarily have to be female. Right. But we have sports journalists covering these women, covering these athletes and, and these leagues. And so now they have they have built up trust over the years with these athletes and they believe them and they know them. And so the stories that they're telling are finally going to get some credit, you know, some credibility um, the player store is insane. And then these, you know, but, but it, we had to get to the point where we had a women's league and then we had, you know, uh, sports journalists covering those leagues to get to the point where we could overpower this sort of status quo that was keeping all of this in place, right? It was keeping, um, keeping all of this silence and keeping it all, uh, you know, co- keeping the cover up going and keeping these guys, keep protecting these guys. You know, you mentioned Alex Morgan and her role in, in, in bringing this about or, or shedding some light on this. Alex Morgan, I believe, was the one who actually was looking for the policies of yes. the league. 
and couldn't find policies that every major corporation should have in place, every company should have in place to protect its employees, and in this case should have been in place to protect its players. How was it that that a league that that represents women athletes had no policies in place to protect those very people? I know. I know. Well, you know, obviously, it goes. I think it goes back to the idea that that, that the league was really a, a startup, right? I mean, it was the third league. The first two leagues failed. Um, one of which, one of which, I believe, failed because of a situation that was was a sexual um, was a sexual abuse situation that was going on in one of the leagues that that was sort of the the tipping point for that put that one under. But um, but you know, I think the nature of the of the league as a startup, and it was you know they they lowered the financial um, minimum for the ownership, and they didn't do a lot of vetting in terms of owners, and they were they just really pushed to get the league going with enough teams, right, um, as quickly as they could because they were trying to take advantage of the success of the team. Um, at that time, it must have been the, the 2012 Olympics, I think. So they were so you know the women win the Olympics and they, they they try to take advantage of that momentum. So they want to get the league started really quickly, which you know everyone everyone wanted the league to, to restart, right? We were all hoping, like particularly the players, right? They're like, what are we going to do? Like we, you know we're going to now now all of a sudden there's no league for us to play in. Um, so you know everybody was pushing for the league to restart or a new league to start. So, you know, it just, it, it, and, uh, and U.S. soccer, you know, they did step in, they organized it, they put an, they offered to pay, um, you know, the national team player salaries, which, which made it, you know, feasible for the league to get started. Um, and so, you know, U.S. soccer it, it isn't, you know, did do a lot of good here to get the league, you know, to, to help the, the women's soccer um, progress. Um, so, it's you know it's just a complicated thing. They just didn't get the the policy in place, and obviously it's it's compounded by the fact that we have this you know systemic abuse going on you know all the way through sort of the youth sports culture in general. So then you know it finds it makes its way up into the league, unfortunately, and you know it's a professional league, and and we just you know now this is the, this is the end. You know this is the point when it all comes out, and and um, you know we have our we have our reckoning. I'm wondering about consequences from youth coaches to owners being removed. What's going to change here? Because so far, all I've seen is some voluntary suspensions and step backs. I haven't seen owners removed. I, I haven't. I had the same question. Yeah, yeah I have. The, I have the same question. I mean, the players. So the so the U.S. women's national team is in England. They're, they play the big game at Wembley tomorrow um, against England. Um, it's a big friendly, and um, they're getting. You know, they're gonna. They sold out Wembley. In minutes um, for this game, and so the players are doing, you know, some pregame press over there for that. And you know, of course, the attention—a lot of the attention—is on the report that came out. And and um, you know, the, the players are asking the same question. They're 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 basically, you know, I, I what I saw was that you know Becky Sauerbrunn and and Megan Rapino are saying that they don't want um, you know two of the owners that were involved involved in the league ever again. Um, so, you know, there, and, you know, like, for instance, I just heard Grant Wall, um, on his, his audio, um, uh, piece that he put out today. And he said very clearly, I support the players, whatever they think is the right thing to do. I support them. Um, so, 
you know, I think, you know, it'll be interesting. Like, I don't, I haven't seen any kind of, I, I don't know the legalities of it. And I think that was, there was that, that gray area, right? And there was also this jurisdiction issue between U.S. soccer and WSL and, and the safe sport organization that was, that was started up after the USA Gymnastics uh, abuse came out, right? Um, so there was like this jurisdictional thing also. So that needs to be clarified, obviously, and rectified. Um, and, you know, they're going to, and, you know, the, the NWSL, though, is still doing their report now. That'll be coming out in, a, I think they said by the end of the year. Um, and I think that will be, uh, you know, another, like, they're going to have a set of recommendations. This report had a, a set of recommendations. Um, so I'm sure they'll work together to put a set of recommendations together that, to, to follow going forward. You know, this report focuses a lot on, on the NWSL and U.S. soccer, but this all starts at a much lower level, at, the, at a yes. level with youth sports that, you know, we've, we all have kids and have gone through this kind of competitive issue. And this, the, the level of competition and the pressure that is put on kids to succeed and just listen to coaches, what do we do or what do you suggest that we do to make sure that all of our kids are safe and, and do speak up when something like this happens? That is a very good question. That is a very, very good question. I mean, I, I think, you know, it starts, it starts in our households, right? We, we have to, I think, honestly, take a good look at the way we're speaking to our kids and our kids' teammates and their coaches. And if, if we're coaching, you know, if, if you're a youth coach, um, you have to reevaluate how you're, you know, speaking to your team. And, you know, if, if you're staying positive, if you're going negative, if you're yelling, if you're, you know, talking to the kids about, you know, uh, like, you know, got, you know, all, I mean, the, the, the things that were happening in the NWSL were, were, were everything from, you know, body shaming to, you know, I mean, telling these women they're bad mothers. I mean, just, you know, just we all need to kind of reevaluate from the from the from our personal level from our individual level all the way sort of every layer that that you know we're interacting with these kids and these athletes and and um and you know make sure we're setting good examples for them and and um make sure we're not passing down the you know the negativity how how important are recreational boards now uh, as parents we can tell our kids to speak up but if the boards of these youth organizations are not made up of decent individuals who are going to make sure that all of this is enforced and, and the kids are going to be listened to, what hope do we have? You know, I, I, there, there is hope. I mean, I think things like this do uh, have positive ripple effects. Um, and I do think that, you know, the governing bodies um, will, you know, reevaluate their, you know, harassment plans and their reporting plans and, and um, you know, how they have, did they, you know, do they have an anonymous hotline? You know, and then if they do, where does that information go? Who's, you know, where's the accountability for following up on those um, on those reports? Um, so, you know, hopefully this does spark some positive uh, change, you know, from the grassroots level all the way up. Well, I'll tell you what, what the positive for me is, is that your your generation of, of female soccer players has brought has brought about so much change, not just in soccer from dealing with getting equal pay to this kind of report and making sure there's a start to predators, not being the people that are running organizations or involved in organizations. How proud are you of, of 
of the people that are part of your generation, the people that you know, that have been able to stand up, speak up. You yourself have written a, a very important book on the subject. How important is it for you to be part of that generation of, of, of athletes? I mean, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for, you know, the Julie Foudy's and the Michelle, uh, Michelle Akers and the Mia Hands and the Christine Lillies and the Joy Fawcett's, you know, all the, all the women who, who insisted on playing and demanded equity first, right, in order to be able to support themselves and be professionals all year round. And, and you know, um, and, you know, they, they chipped away at those inequalities for a very, very long time. And, you know, we've been, you know, I've personally been looking up to them since I was about 14 years old. And, um, you know, I was lucky to be part of that generation. And we were all lucky to be born after Title IX was passed, right? Um, that's really when what kicked off the, the change. And um, so, you know, I, I do feel very lucky to be, uh, you know, in the, in the mix with all these amazing women. Um, and, um, you know, I just try to amplify what they're doing and I follow their lead in, in, uh, in you know, trying to make positive change and protect the, and protect the players. Well, that, you, you just brought up the one other thing that I wanted to ask you, which is how important was Title IX and how, as, as we now go through this era of exposing these things, how much more important is Title IX? I mean, Title IX, I think, is the most important law, uh, one of the most important laws in, in American history. Um, and, you know, I think that every country in the world needs laws like Title IX that protect girls' access to education and every type of educational um, you know, program, and that includes sports. Um, and so, you know, there's, it's as I get older and as I learn more about it, I mean, you guys know I, I've been sort of learning about it and studying it for like two decades now. Um, and, you know, I'm still learning about it and I'm still learning, you know, the, the, the important thing now is to, um, you know, try to protect Title IX and, and, um, and to try to grow it uh, outside the United States. Well, we will keep turning to you for information when these issues come up. Thank you for what you keep doing out there. Susie Petricelli, author of Raised a Warrior, thanks for always giving us some time to walk through these tough issues. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Jeff, that report was horrific, and we barely touched the surface with Susie. I know you've read more of it than I have. Um, it was mentally draining to read what those women have gone through. It, it You know, I, I read the report. And as you read the report, you you literally can't believe it. And then you realize that this has been going on throughout society. And the women that stood up, the people that are in that report is having spoken up and, and people like Alex Morgan, who are using her platform to make sure that this, this gets brought out to the public and that it's rectified. This, is, this isn't just about shining a light on the issue. It's also about finding a solution to the issue. And as somebody who dealt with bullies in, in new sports. And unfortunately, you're probably going to have to deal with the two. These are things that need to be addressed, not only at, at the level of professional sports, but all the way down. And it is important for every parent, every person on a sports board, every coach to make sure that, that these kids, no matter how competitive the environment is, are protected. I understand that they were a startup, but I was still shocked that a major professional sports league didn't have an HR contact or an anonymous HR hotline or HR policies. I, I just yeah. I had a really hard time wrapping my head around that, having worked 
in public and private life, everybody who's worked has been given an HR manual. <laughs> like, well, yeah, and 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 as as if I put on my attorney hat, it's not like the NWSL is the first company or corporation or group that's ever been put together. Don't you just it's borrow not, it from another league? It, it it really isn't that hard for them to say, okay, we're going to put this league together, no matter how fast it is. But here's what we need to work on. Everybody, they could have gotten together over a weekend. It's not, this stuff, it may not have been perfect, but they could have put rules in place and they could have made sure that that all of these women were protected. There's no excuse for not protecting the people in your organization. I know the news cycle moves fast. There will be another report coming out. Do you think we're going to see change? I asked about the consequences. I, I haven't seen owners go yet. Well, you've seen you've seen owners, I believe, step away, and, and so you know. It, yeah, but is it like Robert thing. Sarver? I'm going to step away to let it cool off, and then think I can come back. Or are they actually going to go? Well, Sarver's not stepping away and cooling off. He's making what three billion dollars yeah, or whatever. The, the, the owners of the NWSL aren't going to step away, sell the teams, and make a fortune right now. But they need to be gone. You, you cannot if if you were had a dereliction of duty, and and did not protect your athletes who are also assets. So you want for, if you want to be less than altruistic, you still should be protecting them, but these are human beings and they deserve to be respected and protected. And if you, if you were derelict in doing that once, don't tell me that you're going to do it the next time. You're not. Yeah. I'll let that be the last word other than uh, go Phillies this weekend. Hope for something good. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.